0: So this morning, we continue a conversation we are having together, a teaching series called Tribe, and what it means to be a part of a tribe. And maybe you've never thought about it this way, but the truth is, like, you're already a part of a number of tribes. And so, for some of us in a church like this, I know, like, we, some of us, are a part of the Apple Tribe, right? Any Apple Tribers? Oh, yeah. Yeah, usually it's very boldly, like, very passionate tribe. And maybe you've been dreaming about the iPhone 6 for so long. How many people, any people, iPhone 6 owners in here? Okay, okay, we have some. Some of us are definitely dreaming about the iPhone 6 and trying to figure out how in the world we can add that to our lives. Others of us are part of maybe the Apple-hating tribe. Any Apple-hating, okay, yes. see? (laughs) Equally passionate sometimes, the Apple-hating tribe, right? Where you just cannot understand why anybody would support an organization like that. And feel that maybe the iPhone 6 should be more like honestly named the iPhone 666, right? So we, we have tribes. So I'm a part, I think many of us are part of the Huskers tribe, right? Yes. Who gave the Canes a beatdown last night. And yeah, I'm ready to worship this morning after last night. It was, it was so good for my soul. Um, although I've had to do some repenting after last night, some of the thoughts. Uh, And tweets that I might have put out there. But anyway, um, you know, others of us were a part of uh, maybe tribe where, you know, we wear our girlfriend's jeans and grow our beards real long and don't shower and bike everywhere. Right. And we're part of the hipster tribe. Right. Um, We're all we organize. It seems like human beings like we just happen like just almost intuitively organize ourselves into tribes of people who who we share hopes and dreams or values and beliefs. And of course, we do this spiritually as well. Right, And so for some of us, like you've been a part of a number of Jesus tribes before Mosaic. And for some of us, that was like a really good experience, maybe even changed our lives. Uh, for others of us, as we talked about a bit last week, for some of us, we have, and it was a really bad experience, and we have the scars to show for it. And of course, at Mosaic, there's a number of us, like this is really maybe the first spiritual tribe or the first Jesus-specific tribe uh, that we've ever been a part of. Right? And so it's very important that we figure out how to do this well together. And so that's really the focus of this series. And so this morning, as we talk about what it means to be a healthy Jesus tribe, I want to talk specifically about what it means to, to trust, to really trust the one in whose name that we gather. All right, what does it mean to really trust the one uh, in whose name we gather? To trust God, to trust uh, Jesus. Right, because if you've ever wondered you know, what God wants for you, right, God wants for you that you would move, as we've talked about, from being just a person. To becoming a part of a people, God's people, God's forgiven, redeemed, loved, being made new people. That's what God wants for you. But if you've ever asked, you know, what does God want from me? Right, if I could boil that down to his essence, what God wants from you is for you and I to learn how to trust him. Right? To begin to trust him step by step. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Until every facet of our lives, as imperfectly as we will do it, but until all of us comes into this relationship of trust uh, and surrender to Jesus. And so there's this passage um, that I think really speaks to this really, really well that I want to look at this morning in Proverbs 5. Proverbs 5. But if I'm really honest, like, this is a passage that, uh, as much as I, I love it and as, as good as it is, it makes me profoundly uncomfortable. And for some of us, I think it probably will as well. So this is, this is Proverbs chapter 3, uh, verses 5 and 6. This is how it reads. All right, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. All right, seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Right, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Now, depending on how you're wired, right, for me as a natural critic and sometimes a natural cynic, right, this makes me nervous. Right, this makes me very nervous as I read this. Because for as long as I can remember, like I've always been that kid who just really struggles with easy answers and somebody just trying to like push trite cliches and easy answers my way. Right? And so I, some of you know, like I grew up in church. And like from as early as I can remember, and I was always like that kid in the back of the class, like with my hand in the air, just like pushing back on everything that was oftentimes being said, right? And so I would hear things said, you know, like these kind of Christian isms, you know, where they say things like, um, you know, God is good all the time and all the time. Yeah, right. And so I was like the kid in the back of the room that was like, what about when he's not you know, like, what about, like, the, for the couple who, like, loses their child? Like, how, how can you say that? You know, or, like, how can you look at something like the Holocaust and, like, push forward something that just sounds so trite? So as you can about imagine, Sunday school teachers loved me. Not. They always seemed a little too excited about me graduating out of their class. I don't think any of them ever said, like, that Loy boy, he's going to be a pastor, you know. Right? But I'm just kind of like, that's the way that I'm wired. I'm a natural critic. Like, I don't accept easy answers. They, they, I struggle with this. And, you know, like, I've been through it. Like, I have enough scars from Jesus' tribes to, to cause me to really question spiritual authority. Or any authority, really. I kind of have that rebellious streak. But pastors specifically. Right? So, like, I hear a pastor's like this. And if it's coming out of a pastor's mouth, you know, I'm like, I don't, I, I feel like I'm being set up. You know what I mean? Like, Like, for me, like, this whole idea of, like, you know what? You just need to trust. You don't need to understand. You just need to to trust, you know? Like, from a leadership standpoint, it, like, often translates to You just need to trust me. I'm speaking for God. You need to trust him with all your heart. You're not going to know all the answers. That needs to be okay, you know? And and so for me, like, that seems like the perfect scenario for paving the way for, like, a cult, right? Isn't that like every cult? You know? It's like, you're not going to understand everything that's going to go down in here. But this is God's will. And you need to trust me. Yes, yeah, the matching shoes are necessary. No more questions. You know, get in the line. You know, and of course, the, the, you know, you've, heard, you've heard the joke about cults is, the bad thing about a cult is, like, you never know you're in one until the last day. You know, and when they're handing out the Kool-Aid or giving you a firearm, saying, defend yourself, the FBI is coming. Right? And so, like, I, I don't want to find myself in that situation. So there's a part of me that's nervous from that standpoint. Right? But there's another part of me that gets really nervous because, like, for me, like, I'm, I'm very much, like, a thinker. You know, like, like... Uh, you know, finder, if you ever take... Any, how many people have taken the strengths finder? Yeah, a lot of us? Okay. So strengths finder, like, I'm a coach, so I've got, like, the full list of, like, the full 34 strengths. You know, and, like, at the top of my list are thinking themes, like futuristic and strategic and input. But at the very bottom of my list, you know, are all the relational strengths. So, like, empathy is number 34 and harmony is number 33 and all the things you would associate with being a pastor are basically at the bottom, right? But I'm a thinker, right? And so, like, 99.9% of the things that I do in my life are based on my understanding. Like, I don't know how to shut that off. You know, and even for those of us who are more feelers, like, you know, we might take, make decisions based on, like, our internal, like, kind of compass that we have. But you do the same thing, right? You make a decision, and then you, you learn from that decision, and then you make another decision, right? Everything that I do or I don't do, the decisions that I make as a dad, as a husband, um, they're all based on my understanding, right? So for, like, my family, I know, based on my understanding, like, our income, and what we can afford and not afford. And so Thursday, I got a phone call from Williamson and Honda. And they're like, hey, Aaron, as somebody who has shown interest in Honda pilots in the past, we just want to let you know, you know that a, a really nice Honda Pilot just came in. It's only got 30,000 miles on it. And I think it has your name on it. You need to call me back. You know, and everything in me wanted to pick up that phone, right? Because we've got like a Saturn that we drive that's got 170,000 miles on it. And, you know, it broke down two weeks ago. Needs a lot of TLC just to run right and then we've got this minivan and like a part of my soul died when we bought a minivan you know some of you guys can like relate with that and so i would love to trade in that minivan for a honda pilot you know but based on my understanding i know like for me as a fa- us, us as a family we can't afford that That's going to put us into trouble, you know what I mean? Like, we're going to have to start charging stuff to credit cards, and it's just not in the cards, right? For those of us who um, are kind of further down the career track or some of you are a little bit younger and you're kind of, like, planning out, like, the, the track for your life, you're doing that based on your understanding, right? So, like, when I knew that I was going to become a pastor... Right when I got done, kind of crying about that, right? I had tr- like I made a path, you know. It's like, okay, this is where I want to be. I'm going to need to go back to school. I went back and got an undergraduate degree, you know, in pastoral ministry. Started doing internships, helped plant a church. Eventually went back to to cemetery or, or seminary, and you know, like you chart a course based on your understanding, and you make those decisions based on your understanding. It's just the way we live our life. All right, so there's a part of me that's just, I, I don't know how to turn this off, and I'm, I'm really weary and just nervous about this idea that we just kind of got to mindlessly go through life. So, so let's talk for a moment about what I know this doesn't mean. What I know this doesn't mean is that. What, I, what this does not mean is that we're supposed to just ignorantly go through life and, and just kind of mindlessly make decisions and just wherever the wind blows. And here's why I know that. I want to look at, real quick, just kind of a, a smattering, if you will, of some other Proverbs passages from the exact same book. Right, and this is what we hear about understanding and the value of understanding. Really, Proverbs two two says, "Incline your heart to understanding." Proverbs two three, "Raise your voice for understanding." Two six, "Understanding will guard you." Three thirteen, "Blessed is the one who gets understanding." Right, chapter fourteen thirty three, "Wisdom rests in the heart of a person of understanding." Sixteen sixteen, "To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver." 2323, 23, buy, purchase, go get, wisdom, instruction, and understanding. Right? And so all that to say, like this is not me getting up here, or, and this is not encouraging us. You know what? You just need to trust your pastor. You know what I mean? Like Whatever comes, like he, God has placed him in that position. Just buy everything he says. Right? Nor is it saying like, we should not value wisdom, pursue wisdom, grow in our, our knowledge and understanding of who God is. It's not saying that. But what I would suggest to you is at the very least, Right, the implication is that there is oftentimes a disconnect between what we understand naturally and what God calls us to do. Right? And so the way that we go about making decisions in response to Jesus needs to look very, very different than the way that we make decisions in other areas of our lives. Because as we open up the Scriptures, we find God saying like these really pesky kinds of things. Like this, like in Isaiah 55. He says this, right? For my thoughts are not your thoughts... Right? And my ways are not your ways. In fact, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Right? And so the, the implication, the rub for us, the tension, you know, is he's saying, look, if, so if you go about making decisions you know, regarding me and what I'm asking of you, in the same way you make other decisions, and, and it always has to align with what you understand, what makes sense on paper, what you can explain rationally the outcomes that are very very predictable if you do that you're going to completely miss what i'm up to and what i long for you All right and so here's what i want to throw out there and kind of put on the table this morning All right if this is true if our natural bent often places us in a position of opposition to what god desires for us if our natural plans are ones that if we make them on their own are oftentimes gonna look very, very different than what God desires for us and what God plans for us, then we need to become a people who adopt a posture of yes when it comes to God. Right? That God is actually looking for yes men and yes women. All right, how many people ever saw the movie Yes Man? Yeah, Jim Carrey? So good. I love that movie. Part of the reason I love that movie is because we live in Lincoln, Nebraska. And do you remember how Lincoln, Nebraska is depicted in that movie? I don't know where they filmed some of that, but that was not Lincoln, Nebraska. That was somewhere out western Nebraska, right? And if you, and if you remember in the movie, like, actually, it, the, the premise is, you know, he gets challenged to say yes to everything, right? And so he's kind of reclusive and struggling in these different things. And this kind of self-help guy says, you just need to start saying yes, 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 yes to everything. So He does. And in the process, he vacations to Lincoln, Nebraska, and like, I think it's like the FBI assume he's a terrorist because nobody vacations to Lincoln, Nebraska, <laughs> which is awesome. Although I do have one reason to vacation to Lincoln, Nebraska, to come this weekend to watch us stomp the Miami Hurricanes, but that's, I, I digress, I digress, I apologize. But all that to say, you know, when it comes to being like a yes man or a yes woman, for us, like that carries a negative connotation naturally, right? Right? None of us want to be a yes man. And if you're a leader, no one would ever encourage you to surround yourself with yes men. Right? Because you need others who are going to help you see your blind spots. Right? To push back and say, uh, Aaron, that's a bad idea. you know. Like, we all need that. Right? But of course, it's very different when it comes to God. Because believe it or not, God actually doesn't need that from you. Right? God doesn't actually need you to push back and question everything he calls you to. But that's, that's like our bent. right? And I think like if God was to show up, like just tangibly show up This morning, like, in the middle of Lincoln, Nebraska, and say, like, behold, the keys of life. Do you want them? Like, I think a lot of us, like, especially those of us who are skeptical like me, would be like, I don't know. What's the cost? You know what I mean? Like, am I going to lose some of my creative freedoms? You know, like, what's the fine print? Right? Because we want to push back. And what ends up happening is we open up the Scriptures, and this is how we approach the Scriptures. Is we're constantly processing it through our own rationale and try and decide whether that's a good idea or whether we actually know better than God. Which, of course, is a very arrogant thing, but it's, I think, oftentimes the way that we approach it. And, of course, this is, this is actually how the whole fall happened in the garden, is God gives them everything, says the world is your playground. Go, create, make babies, you know what I mean? Cultivate, this is all yours, but don't do this one thing. And Adam and Eve ultimately decided, you know what? I think we know better. I think God's holding out on us. and so we're not going to trust. Our way is better. Right? And so I just suggest to you, like, we need to adopt a posture of yes. And that, that is just intrinsic to what it means to, to be a disciple. Right? To be a people, my challenge to you, that to be a disciple, is basically to decide ahead of time that I want to say yes to Jesus. Right? So... Jesus, what do you want with my finances? I, I may not fully understand that, but ahead of time, I'm going to say yes. Right, what, do you want, you want, what do you want from me as a husband and as a dad? I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say yes. Right, what do you want from my, my plans for my life, my hopes, my dreams? I'm going to go ahead and just ahead of time say yes, Jesus, yes, Jesus, yes, Jesus, because you are trustworthy. Right? If you feel that internal tension like when I say that, right, that's exactly what I'm trying to put my finger on is that part of us inside of us that just kind of says, no, 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 I know better. You're not trustworthy. Right? Another part of why this is really, really important, I would suggest to you, is that yes, men and women know God in a way that others never will. Yes, men and women know God in a way that others never can. Right? Because if you haven't figured out already, like, it's very possible, in fact, I bet you know people, people, who understand a lot about God but do not know Him. Because there are some things that you cannot fully know, but you can only know experientially. And, and I, I bet you already know this in, like, every other era of your life. Right? So if you went to a surgeon and you had to have some major surgery going on, and you went into a surgeon, you know, and he walks in and he says, all right, I've never technically done this per se, but I've read a lot of medical journals about this particular surgery. In fact, I've written a lot of medical journals about this particular surgery. So, scalpel? All right, you and I both know we are jumping off that table so fast. You know what I mean? Whether we're drugged or not, it's like, don't touch me. You know, or if you went to a dentist, right, and they got you all bibbed up and laid you back, and he gets the drill out, You know, and he, said, he turns to you and he says, you know, dantia is the Greek word for teeth. I learned that in my study. And if this hurts, you need to scream really loud because I've never actually handled one of these. You know, like, you and I both know there's no possible way we're letting that guy touch us. Why is that? What if he has a PhD? What if he's written the book on electric drills to be used in dentistry? Right? What if he's counted amongst the professionals, like the most educated people in the world on that particular surgery? But he's just never technically done one. You and I would never allow them to because you and I both intrinsically know that there are some things you cannot understand until you've done them. There are some things you cannot know until you have experientially gone through them, right? It's like for those of us who are married in the room, it's like when you run into a young couple and they are so just infatuated with each other. And they're getting ready to get married, you know. And and they're so infatuated and up in each other's business all the time that they make everybody else around them uncomfortable. It's like nobody else is in the room, you know. And then like when they leave to go to the bathroom or get a drink and they walk back in, it's like slow motion. You know, endless love is playing in the background and doves are being released, you know. The whole world stops because they made eye contact, you know. And then they say these words to you, you know. They say something to the effect of, you know, we are so in love. It was destiny. She likes fondue and Shania Twain, and so do I. I mean, it was meant to be, right? And as soon as we saw each other, we just knew he's the one, she's the one, and we're getting married in 28 days, 17 hours, and four minutes from right now. You know, and those of us who are married in the room don't even have to say a word. We just look at each other, and we're like, okay, call me in six months. You just wait. You know, like, you're clueless. Why is that? Honestly, like, why is that? What if they've read every book that's ever been written on marriage? Right, it's because we intrinsically know. They're clueless. <laughs> you know, they can read every book uh, under the sun, but if they've never actually walked as a husband or as a wife, uh, there's just so many things that, that they cannot possibly know. And the thing is, we know this in every other area of our lives, but we somehow think when it comes to spirituality, when it comes to our relationship with God, that it's somehow different. Right, but it's not. Right, just to put all the cards on the table. Right, so, for example, like knowing... Just knowing that God has called you to be a generous person if you're his son or his daughter, as Bill talked about the first week, just knowing that does nothing for your soul. Does nothing. But living a generous lifestyle over time, that will change you. That does something to your soul. Just knowing that God's commission to us as followers of Jesus is to help people meet Jesus and begin to follow him does nothing to your soul. Accomplishes nothing. But to get to come up here on a Sunday morning when we're having a baptism service and get to baptize somebody because you were a part of their story and getting to help them meet Jesus will change your life. That does something to your soul. Right? And we could go on and on and on and on, and I think you know this to be true. Right? Just knowing that we are called to serve the poor, right? the least of these, does nothing to your heart does nothing for your soul right? but venturing into those uncomfortable situations and actually sitting down and sharing a meal with somebody who has no home sharing a smoke hearing their story, learning their name over time, like that changes a person right? and so this is why like, actively trusting God is so incredibly so incredibly important Right, part, of, part of the problem is, is our spiritual gauge for spiritual maturity is so broken. Right, because if you grew up in Jesus' tribes like this, our gauge for spiritual maturity is typically whoever knows the most about the Bible. Right? If you teach Sunday school and you can reference any Greek or Hebrew, and especially if you went to seminary, right, it's like, wow, you must be really something in God's eyes. Right, but you and I, I bet you and I both know people who know so much about the Bible and yet their life looks so, much unlike, so unlike Jesus. Right, that's a broken spiritual gauge. Right, and so I would suggest to you a much better gauge for spiritual maturity is the time it takes for that person to respond with a yes to whatever Jesus is calling them to. Which means it's very possible for somebody like me to get up on a stage like this and deliver a sermon like I give every week and not be living a life that is actively trusting Jesus step by step at a time and be very spiritually immature. And at the same time, there could be somebody who's actually a fairly new believer. But they're actually stumbling forward and even as they fail, as we all do, are saying, yes, Jesus, yes, Jesus, yes, whatever you want, Jesus. And for them to actually be a whole lot more spiritually mature than this guy over here. Right, it's a whole different, whole different gauge. You know, it's not uncommon in the church world um, for people to kind of bounce, you know, from church to church and for them to leave. And I've heard this as people have left and I've heard it as people have come. And they'll say something like essentially to the point, you know, that, you know, I just, it's just not doing anything for me. You know, I, I need to go deep. You know, I need, some, I need some meat. I'm not getting that, you know. But sometimes, not always, but sometimes you look at their life and, and they're not loving their neighbor. You know, they're not giving of themselves sacrificially, putting other people's good in front of their own. Right? They, they really don't forgive people who have wronged them. You know, and as a pastor, I just, I just want to come alongside those people, and sometimes I do when they're arriving you know, and very lovingly share with them that they are not as far as they think they are. Right? That they're not even working the basics. You know, that they really don't need meat. They, they don't need a prime rib right now because they have yet to learn how to drink milk. Right? And so we've got, to, we've got to change our gauge because, man, for people like that, right, it, <laughs> the last thing that a person like that needs is to go into a space where, where their mind is challenged while their heart remains cold, right? Because to follow Jesus, it is active, right? And it is step by step by step, right? And and part of the reason this passage that we're looking at this morning is so incredibly important is that that step by step by step, that, that saying yes to Jesus, that adopting a posture of yes, those actions and those steps, oftentimes they don't make sense on paper, which is why us processing them rationally and deciding whether or not we really want to be obedient is really problematic. Right? So, for example, for my family, coming back to kind of our financial situation, uh, you know, we don't have a lot of margin as a family. Right? I'm, uh, we have one income. Uh, you know, I'm not rolling super deep you know, as a pastor. Got three kids. Um, and so we've, we live pretty frugally to make it. You know, but for us... I'm convinced that God has called us to live generously and that his tribe, his church, as we talked about last week, I really am convinced that it is the business that God is in, that it is his mechanism to change me and to change the world. And so when I read the scriptures and it talks about giving God like the best of my crop, you know, as a metaphor, like the first fruits, for me that translates to me giving the best of my income back to my local Jesus tribe. And by the way, if I was at Lincoln Bryan sitting in a pew, I would say the exact same thing. Right? And so for us, the first check that I write every week, 10% of our income, boom, goes right to Mosaic. Because for me, that that is just something that when I open up the scriptures, makes sense to me. And that's just a step of obedience. But I will tell you this, on paper that don't make sense. That makes no sense. I mean, we have a budget and everything like that, but I spent a lot of my, like, early life doing ministry and getting paid, like, nothing to do it, and going to school and seminary and these kinds of things, right? And so, conventional wisdom would say, you know what, you got some catching up to do on retirement. You know, or I look at that lump of money, I'm like, man, we could go to Jamaica every year. You know what I mean? I really could get that Honda Pilot if I wanted it. I could get my dream car with that amount of money. Doesn't make sense on paper. My conventional wisdom would tell me, this is a really bad move. That's 10% of your income, and that doesn't include like the other charitable stuff you do, right? But for me, in just laying my heart open and saying, you know what, Jesus, whatever you want with my money, you get it. Like that's where, that's for us. Like that's one of those decisions, right? For you in a business setting, depending on what business you're in, right? It might be really, really normal for people in your business to act in a way that is without integrity. Cut corners, lie to people, any number of things, right? Number Number of careers that, could go that way. You could use it to make some extra money, right? But if you're a follower of Jesus, you would open up the scriptures and and like me, see that we are called to be men and women of integrity who are honest, who let our yes be yes and our no be no, right? And so a step of faith that does not make sense on paper maybe would be to act in a way that nobody else in your field does, a way that is going to negatively affect your bottom line, but because that's a step of obedience, you take it and have to trust the results to God. Right, just a couple examples of the different ways that this fleshes itself out. Another way for us as a tribe, as a, as a church, Mosaic, conventional wisdom would tell us, you know what? You've got to buckle down and you just grow this thing like, like we're growing it right now, which is like 100 people a year. You just keep getting into bigger and bigger spaces, get people in, slowly add staff, and you kind of build like your empire. You know what I mean? Like that's what I was taught basically in seminary. Right? That's conventional wisdom. That makes sense. That's, in many ways, that's how a lot of businesses kind of do their thing. But when I open up the scriptures, I don't see, like, a commission to just play the addition game and kind of corral everybody in and try to keep as many people as possible, right, and just do this thing of building, building our thing. Instead, what I see is this viral movement that is the movement of Jesus. What I see instead of addition, I see multiplication and churches that are actually going out and taking risks and releasing the body of Christ to be the body of Christ, to release and send out the kingdom of priests, which is Jesus' tribe. Right? You're a priest. I'm a priest. Which is why we let anybody baptize up here. Because we are the body of Christ. That makes no sense on paper. Right? But when I open up the scriptures, if I'm going to be obedient... Well then I think we gotta be dreaming and praying about multiplication and releasing people and sending people out and planting new churches and planting new campuses if we're gonna reach our city for Jesus. All right, so for all that to say, like there's there's such a different mentality of saying, you know what, Jesus, I'm gonna say yes on the front end. Rather than say, I'm gonna decide. I'm gonna I'm gonna decide after I understand what you're up to and understand how this makes sense and understand how this benefits me, then I'll obey. All right? If you're taking notes, number four, you see. I would suggest to you that we, we cannot wait for our obedience to catch up with our understanding. Because listen, if we wait, if we have to wait for our obedience to catch up to our understanding, it's very possible that we will never get around to actually following Jesus. Right? If every decision you ever make has to make rational sense on paper, right, that's not really going to cost you anything, right, it, it falls into the strategic plan, I would suggest to you that it's very possible that we never actually get around to following jesus right but that not leaning on our own understanding actually it often leads us into spaces where we have to obey god and trust him actively and do that which does not make sense in faith right just a few examples that immediately come to mind just in case you think i'm totally making this up and preaching on a left field abraham right god leads abraham to leave everything that he understands the only land he's ever known god calls him to lead ev- leave it all and trust him by going to a land that he's never been. Now he doesn't have to walk through that door. But if he does not do that which does not make sense and walk through that door, he never comes to know the God who can birth a nation from a sterile elderly couple. Right Moses. Right Moses, when God comes to Moses, he is in the middle of working a very long plan that he's been working for a long time. God comes to him and the one thing that he what he does understand is that I have a stuttering problem. You're sending me to Pharaoh. Pharaoh is not going to be impressed with me at best. He's going to kill me at worst. And you're sending me back to the people who know me as the guy who killed an Egyptian, buried him in the sand, and fled to the desert. Makes no sense. Right? But if he doesn't walk through that door and do that which does not make sense in obedience to God, right, he never gets to come to know the God, right, who can use a stuttering murderer to rescue a nation. Right, we could work our way through the entire Bible. right? Peter, right, when God comes to Peter and Jesus says, you know what, you need to leave everything and follow me, right, he's in the middle of a, a lifelong succession plan to take over the family business. He's a blue-collar worker with no education. Right, and based on his temper and his tongue, uh, they would lead us to believe that the people business is probably not a business that Peter has any business getting into. It's probably good that he works with fish most of the day, you know what I mean? And yet Jesus comes to him and says, "You know what? You're done with this. I want to lead you to actually make you fishers of men. I want you to actually follow me." Now he does not have to walk through that door, right? He doesn't. But if he doesn't, he never comes to know the God who sends His Son to march to the cross and pour out His blood, so that every, even the very sinners who put Him there, can have the chance to experience the grace and forgiveness of God. Peter will never come to know the God who sends ordinary people. With tempers and foul mouths, who are constantly putting their foot in their mouths to be a part of unleashing the movement of Jesus on the world. Right? And so I would just I would just suggest to you that, that we have to adopt a posture of yes. And until you do, until we do, there are things about God that we will never know and never understand. But there is there is grace and patience and peace, there is life that we will never experience. There are things about God's character that we will never really know, right? And you also need to know that, that for us as a tribe, as Mosaic, that we are striving to be a yes tribe as well. See, for us as a church, you've got to understand that before we ever began, because of we have submitted ourselves to the scriptures, that God has given us a vision for multiplication, right? And so we've been praying specifically that God would enable us to plant churches and to plant campuses. And there's two areas of town where we've been praying for a very long time that God would send us to and open up doors for us to be there. And one is downtown and one is in North Lincoln. And we've been praying about it for a very long time. And here about 14 months and then again, uh, just about three months ago, uh, Mike Smith got together with me. And, and if you don't know who Mike is, Mike's the founder of the Bay, which is a, a skate park in North Lincoln. And he came to us and, and he said, uh, you know, we're doing a lot of good things. And, and if you're not familiar with the Bay, uh, the Bay opened two years ago, they've had 3,000 different skaters go through the Bay since then uh, a lot of those kids do not have a father figure in their life um, lots of drug use lots of legal problems represented, um, they've also founded Out of the Bay and operating in the Bay is I've Got a Name uh, which is a sex trafficking organization and so they've got gals that are in this space throughout the week or in various, various stages of recovery um, some of them in prevention um, a lot of them are still stripping or prostituting to take care of themselves and their kids. Um, they've got the largest food distribution center in the city that's out of the Bay. Doing a lot of good things. Right? But Mike sat down with me here just a few months ago and he said, You know, Aaron, we're doing a lot of good things. But I don't want to spend my life doing good things. So I want to be a part of eternal things. Right? And these girls and these kids, like they don't just need a meal. And they don't just need like, a bed to sleep in. They need Jesus so he said, please, come start something here. Like, we will make it possible. Come start something here, please. And right? so you've got to know that, that as a directional team, that's something we've been praying about. We're at a point in, where we feel like this is, this is it. And, and it's time. And, and you need to know something else. Financially, we have never been in a worse situation as a church. Like, things are very, very tight. Um, in fact, I learned just this last month that right now we're losing like $2,500 a week like as a church. I'm learning, you know, atheists and and baristas don't give a lot of money. Go figure. You know, we're a very young church. And so we're in this, like, scenario where things are very, very tight. Reserves are, by the way, almost gone. And us as a directional team have gotten on our knees and we're at a point where unanimously we all feel like this is it. This is time. We're going to the bay. I don't know how it's going to happen, but we're going. All right, so it's like a total gut check about what we're talking about this morning. But I want to tell you something else. So we've committed to this. And everybody who's like volunteer staff in the room, like you guys, you already know about this. But I wanted to share it with everybody. And I shared it with another couple who's a part of this church. And I just said, this is where we're going. I don't know how it's going to happen, but we believe this. And, and our vision is to, to send and to multiply. And uh, if you want to be a part of that, that'd be great. If not, no worries. And, and they came back a couple days later and they said, we so believe in this. Um, that we want to give $25,000 towards it. But it's got to be a a matching grant, by the way. So we have to raise another $25,000 in between now and the end of January. So I'll just put that out there, all right? So we're all going to have to step up if we're going to do this, right? But it was this incredible thing, like, as a directional team, you know, like, I'm wiping tears, like, you know, it's just amazing. Because as you can about imagine, there's not a lot of us in the room who can give $25,000, you know? But it's an amazing thing. But here's why I tell this story, right? Here's what I want you to get. If we don't walk through that door, right, if we don't step into what does not make sense and say this is where we're going and we don't know how God's going to provide, but this is what we believe obedience looks like for us, what trusting Jesus looks like for us. If we don't walk through that door, that $25,000 does not exist. You follow? Like if we don't walk through that door and risk and do what does not make sense, we don't come to know in a new way the God who is faithful to provide Right, the Jesus who said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of death will not stand against it. Right, and so we just, I I share that to illustrate, like, this is the way that it works. And if we constantly wait to understand before we obey, there are things we will never understand. And things about God that we will never know. And things that he wants to produce in your life and provide you with that just never happens on the front side of obedience. Some things you can only know through experience right? and so I put that out there because you need to know like, that's where we're going and when I share next week I've got an even bigger announcement <laughs> so you're going to have to come back but, um, but we are getting very very aggressive with our vision and have some very aggressive moves and by the way one of those being like probably not meeting at Southeast anymore so that we can actually position ourselves as a church to multiply all over this city so know that that's coming and next sunday uh, i'm going to blow your mind a little bit but i want to end with this quote all right end with this quote so this guy comes up to went to mother teresa one time and he asked mother teresa to pray for him and she said i would love to what would you like me to pray for and he said pray that i would have clarity and mother teresa turns to him and she said i've never had clarity I have only been able to trust God. I've only had trust. So I will pray that you will trust God. And my hope and my prayer for everybody in this room and for us as a tribe is that God would make us into men and women who are yes men and yes women who are willing to venture out and trust God actively even when clarity is elusive. Even when we can only see the next step. All right, let me pray for you. Lord God, I just begin by confessing, confessing to you that intrinsic reaction that I still have to weigh what you have said so I can decide whether it's a good plan, whether it's worthy of my time. I can be so incredibly arrogant sometimes to think that I know better than you. And I would venture to guess that I'm probably not the only person in the room. And so, Lord God, we ask for the courage to move forward. We ask, Lord, that, God, you would grow our faith and make us into a people that actually trust you actively because we want to know you. And we recognize that there are things about you that we cannot know unless we actually begin to walk in obedience as imperfectly as we will do that. And so, Lord God, as we just continue to move forward as a tribe, as a Jesus tribe, would God, I would ask that you just make us into that people who are willing to step out and trust you even when clarity is elusive, even when it doesn't make sense on paper, even when it's profoundly uncomfortable, Lord God, we come before you now from a lot of different places. From a people who very naturally struggle to trust you. And Lord God, we just come before you open. And Lord God, I ask even now as we sing, Lord, that you would be putting your finger on those parts of our heart and parts of our soul where we have refused to trust you. Places in our life where maybe there are scars and wounds that cause us to be very, very hesitant to trust a tribe or even to trust God. Places in our lives, Lord, where honestly, if we were really, really honest, we just think oftentimes we know better than you. Or maybe there are parts of our lives where we're just afraid. Afraid that you're not trustworthy. Afraid that you do not Provide for those who take risks in faith so that the light of your gospel might go forward into dark places. And Lord God, I ask that you would root that out, that you would help us even now as we sing to see those parts of our heart because you want us to know you in a new way. So we come before you now. Why don't you go ahead and stand?